Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It's January 30th, 2019, otherwise known as New Comic Book Day, and welcome to the Talking Comics Podcast. You're listening to episode number 375. I'm your host, Steve Say, and joining me this week are Mr. Bob Ryer. Hey, boo-boo. Yes. Joey Bertino. 525,600 minutes. I actually know that reference. And Sarah Miles is also here. Morning. Good morning, Sarah. How's the sun over in England? Non-existent. There is no sun in England. (laughs) (gasps) Take that back. The sun shines at least one day every year. (laughs) (laughs) Through the rain. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Hey, everybody. How you doing? We have another podcast for you this week. Of course, we have lightning rounds. We have open discussion. Uh, We also have an announcement. A really cool interview announcement. So next week... We are going to be joined by David Pepos and Jorge Santiago Jr. of Spencer and Locke to talk about Spencer and Locke Volume 2 coming out real soon, uh, including uh, maybe some other stuff that uh, Mr. David has going on, a little book called Grand Theft Astro. I don't know. Uh, We'll see what shakes out. But anyway, they'll be with us next week, so definitely look forward to that. And... uh, I actually, we should kick off this week's show with uh, with Joey. Let's see here. Yeah. You received a message from our dear friend, yeah. Eisner Award-winning Professor Carolyn Koga. Yeah. Who yeah. wants to know how, uh, how was Ren? Uh, yeah, I received a uh, listener question from, as you said, Eisner Award-winner Carolyn Koga, Professor Carolyn Koga, uh, which was just simply, listener question, colon, what did Joey think of Rent Live? And here's what Joey thought of Rent Live. It was so friggin' amazing. That's what I think. I I have I have started I've grown out of live tweeting these hot messes of live theater performances on 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 the on the television. Um, but that doesn't mean I wasn't there. Um, my friends and I got a bottle of Stoli. Right, as they reference in the show, nice. and lots of beer Ooh. and wine, as they say in Lovey Bohem. And uh, we watched the three hour uh, interpretation of Rent Live on uh, Fox this, this past Sunday. Um, it was a lot of fun. They actually, it wasn't live because the actor playing one of the leads broke his foot during the last rehearsal. Oh, wow. So they showed, they videotaped that rehearsal though. They, they recorded that rehearsal. So they were just showing most of that rehearsal, um, which is a little unfortunate because you could tell some of the performers were like kind of saving themselves for the, the uh, big performance. 
But it was awesome. I love watching them, especially the most recent kind of adaptations to the the television format, because they've kind of realized that you really need a, a live audience for them. The first couple were terrible. It was just silent and awkward without the audience. But it was fun. I love Rent. You know, anybody of kind of our generation knows Rent. It's it's this huge show. Um it's funny because they uh, did a few rewrites here and there to kind of like add narration and change some lines, which mm. I accept because the director of the television live performance was the original director of the Broadway show, which I think was really cool. Um, but my friend was like, if they're going to change any lines, they need to send an email to any actor who was any community theater production of Rent ever to get their okay and approval. Um, because, <laughs> you know, it's the kind of show that, like, if you're a theater person, you know Rent. You know the lines, you know the lyrics, and if the second, like, the opening number changed some lines and people were up in arms. Um, but if you go back to Twitter and you look at all the jokes about the care, the actor having you know a broken foot, and you look at all the jokes about all the changes. It, it's a fun night, and I think that's what theater does. It brings people together, you know, good or bad. You you either reminisce over how bad something is, or you love the changes and you cry. Uh, the performances were great. The music is wonderful. I think it's just really cool, and I'm glad that people got to experience Rent um, on TV in, in a kind of quote-unquote live setting in front of an audience. I think it's really cool. I loved it. I I know that I was speaking with um, uh, Eisner Award winner Carolyn Coca uh, over text as well. Um, sorry, Eisner Award winner Professor Carolyn Coca uh, as well. And she was saying she unfortunately wasn't able to watch it just yet. Um, and I, I look forward to talking with her about it when she does watch it. And hopefully um, she gets to watch it with her daughter too because um, – Theater's for everybody, and, and I just uh, really, really enjoy it. I will say this about Rent, for those that don't know, um, it goes places. It's kind of, it's, raunchy's not the right word, but it's, there's some body stuff in it, and there's some, like, really intense kind of emotional stuff in it, too. It's obviously about the AIDS crisis in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and it's very frank about its depictions of gender and sexuality. And we were surprised at how... Um, how much Fox kept in the show. Mm. And we were kind of like very proud. We were like, okay, they're going to do this really naughty number. I'm okay with that. And it was, it was really cool to see uh, all those things happening on TV and being able to share that with people that don't, didn't necessarily get a chance to ever see it in the theater or ever see it perform. Now it's on TV for everybody to watch. Mm. You know, as, as with almost all of these, I tend to check in i want to see what everything looks like and uh, i got to rent just as they were doing la vie bohème what really struck me was the camera moves mm -hmm. so many of these are just static and this the it was 360 pans and going in and out of the crowd up and down it's like yeah. wow they're they're letting everything flow here and it really made a difference it was just a crowd scene of people dancing around yeah it would have been tiresome, but you felt the energy of yeah. all the performers for, because of that. I wept twice. That's like, please, come on. That, okay. that, that yeah. seems a little low, right? <laughs> I wept the first time. They did this beautiful tracking shot during one of the most emotional moments of the, the, the show, which is the song Will I Lose My Dignity, which is just an incredible song. 
And they did this beautiful tracking shot around the stage and they met every actor in the on the stage and they went into the audience and they followed as the whole song was going on. And you're like, you know what? This is how you do one of these. You know, this is mm-hmm. how you take the medium and you translate it well. And you're not just watching a recording of the show. You're watching a genuine live television telecast of a performance. And it was just really cool. And um, these just keep getting better and better. They're doing – NBC is doing hair this April. I don't know how okay. the hell they're going to do that. <laughs> but I will be on my couch with – you know, we drank some Stoli for rent. I don't know what we're going to imbibe for hair. Hairspray. But, uh, <laughs> just straight up hairspray. Um, but we'll we'll see how that one goes. I'm a huge hair fan as well. Um, but, yeah, I love it. I love the theater. And uh, that's where I'll be next week for those of you that are going to miss me next week. I'll be with the middle schoolers doing Willy Wonka. Um, but uh, it's I love theater. It's fun. And I, I love when other people get to experience it. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. How did dude break his foot? Do we know? Okay, so... The, once you know that he broke his foot and you're watching the show that they recorded the night he broke his foot, you're like waiting for it. You're waiting for it to happen. And we can't really pinpoint where. There's a, 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 if you read the news stories, it says it happened right before the final scene. And there's this moment where like he climbs some scaffolding and like jumps Ooh. over the railing. And we think it happened there. Um, oh, so like Tom Cruise Mission Impossible yeah, style? Yeah, that's what I. Yeah. That's what we think happened. But what okay. I actually think happened is he was probably just walking down some stairs after that scene and broke his damn foot. That's what Are I. Are we think. sure it wasn't the stand-in? Yeah. Well, and then what happens is like they were they the did the Black final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you know. <laughs> yeah, they did the final <laughs> final scene live, and this dude has his foot in a cast up on a chair singing the last number of the show. It My, is hilarious. What a trooper! Oh, what a trooper! <laughs> What a trooper. But hey, Rent Live, DVR, it's fantastic. Amazing. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Rent Live, Joey Bracino, watching it for you. Yeah. All Bring, right. Bringing you all the theater news. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and good luck with the show next week, Joey. We will definitely miss you. It'll be fun. And uh, we're excited. All righty. Uh, I think that it's time we should uh, get into some lightning rounds. What do you say? Do it. All right. Uh, Bob, would you care to go uh, first this week? Sure. All right. I am going to put five minutes on the clock for you and go. Batman 63. Tom King, Mikhail Yaman, Jordi Belair has an interesting hook involving John Constantine that I won't spoil. And it looks absolutely gorgeous. Here's the thing that got to me, though. Uh, Throughout this issue, I had to once again look at the element of this long-form story by Tom King that really offered something different back in the day, and that's the whole bat and cat dynamic. That was really, once again, heavily on display here. Sadly for me, in this issue, it once again seems that Selina is just being used as a plot point to push Batman forward, and to me, she deserves better than that. So gorgeous issue. Fun story if you're still involved eh, for me. <laughs> Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur 39, Brendan Monclair, Natasha Bustos, and Tamra Bone Beyond, and Travis Lanham. Uh, continues the Bad Dream story begun last issue, where all the Yancey Street regulars are having nightmares and trouble sleeping. And it seems the culprit is a little human boy who's proclaimed himself Lord of the Dream Dimension, 
and Lunella appears to be having trouble shaking him off. Doctor Strange's old phone nightmare appears as well, and his administration send Lunella on a very strange somnambulic journey indeed. As always, clever story, great characterization, charming artwork, and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur just always a delight. Speaking of kind of scary stuff, I checked out Crypt of Shadows number one, a number of Marvel's 80th anniversary honorarium relaunches, uh, vintage titles. This one means to replicate Marvel's Atlas horror period of the early and mid-50s and is written by Al Ewing. It's all Latin, a bag of bones. Mr. Ewing's crafted a multi-part story with art by Gary Brown, uh, Stephen Green, and Jabril Morissette Pham, focusing on... Uh, a down-on-his-luck fellow pouring out his heart to a psychiatrist, each vignette a tale of redemption slash revenge in the O'Henry E.C. Rod Serling vein, what Bill Gaines of, of E.C. described as, you sharpen the pencils, the pencil sharpens your head. This book had a great old-fashioned feel to it, still maintained modern sensibilities, never going too far into either parody or a slavish copy. I mean, great stuff all around, including a really nice essay by James Beard at the back on Marvel Horror. Now, this had me pulling out old Marvel horror comics, because I'm just me, which included Crypt of Shadows number 1 from 1973, which reprinted some of those old Atlas stories, and whose style was definitely referenced by Mr. Ewing here. And once down this rabbit hole, I dove into the other 60s, 70 titles, Tower of Shadows, Chamber of Darkness, Chamber of Chills, Journey into Mystery. These would have short runs, particularly uh, eventually featuring reprints of some of the other things. Their original work, some are absolutely incredible versions of Poe and Lovecraft stories, and originals by Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, Len Wein, Denny O'Neill, Jim Steranko, Bernie Wrightson, Barry Smith, Sal and John Buscema, Marie Severin, Wally Wood, Billy Graham, Neil Adams. Uh, as a Lovecraft fan, my favorites were in Journey to Mystery 3 to 5, as you had Ron Goulart doing the triptych the, concocted by Robert Locke and, and Lovecraft with art by Jim Starlin, Gene Cole, and Rich Buckler, where in one first story, Shambler from the Stars, in the original short story, Robert Block kills off Lovecraft, Lovecraft returns the favor and Haunter of the Dark, we come back for Robert Block's Shadow from the Steeple, and they're all there. Sadly, most of these have not been reprinted, they're all in the dollar and quarter bin, so if you don't mind digging in the comic book graveyard, they're there for you, and it's worth the work. Well then, is that it? That's it. You had a Excellent. whole minute and seven seconds. Wow. If I could talk to you about Batman for a moment. Sure. <laughs> okay. So I did my my catching up with Batman this past week. I read, I believe, 59 to 63 okay. uh, with the Batman annual included. Mm -hmm. That's the uh, Alfred. Oh, you mean the, the story that I pitched several yes. years ago on <laughs> yeah, this podcast yeah. <laughs> in its entirety? Yeah, that one. That one. They're listening. They were listening. They are listening. Yeah. Yes. Tom King, I see you. <laughs> Look, I don't know what episode it was. We got a listener question on the show. It, yeah. A long time ago, that was, if you could write any one comic in the DC canon, what would it be? You get to write a one-shot, right? And so of all the things in the entire DC multiverse, I chose to write a one shot that centers on Alfred doing all the things, tending to Batman when he's broken, supporting him when he needs to be there. Batman, like recognizing 
what he does for him and staying home for a day. All of it. If you could find that podcast, it's all there. And here it was realized by uh, Tom Taylor. And um, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have the uh, the artist in front of me. I did. and Now it's gone. Um, I'll find it in a second. Anyway, uh, pretty much panel for panel. I enjoyed the living daylights out of this comic that was like, nope, that was mine. That was mine. That line was mine. All of it mine. Um, Alfred, Alfred one. You created Alfred. Everyone knows it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otto Schmidt uh, was the is the artist. Um, but just an absolutely fantastic issue. Tugged on the heartstrings a little bit. Uh, really celebrates Alfred as just a, an all around influence uh, and kind of uh, angel on the shoulder of Bruce Wayne and Batman. Uh, I have always loved this character and it was really, really cool to see like, you know, this big annual issue, uh, double size, whatever focus down on him and tell a really tender um, father's day story involving Alfred and Bruce. And uh, I positively loved it. Uh, The other standout for me super quick while I was catching up with all the Batman stuff was number 62, which was the Professor Pig issue Mm -hmm. was just (laughs) bananas. Like Mitch Gerard's on that on on that issue. It was just amazing, amazing. But oh, my God, was it confusing? A lot of Batman that I caught up with was confusing. This nightmares arc that's going on. I am very lost. I love very, very lost. I love Was it. that? I love it. You love, you know, like, but that's the thing, right? Like the, the, the roller coaster ride that is the Tom King Batman run where like for four issues, you just like nose to the ground, like you're going, you know, like, yeah, this is amazing. And all of a sudden he'll throw in a bunch of wrenches and you're like, I have no idea what the hell I just read. What does this mean? How does this tie into stuff later? Um, and I, I just found that with the exception of maybe like two of the issues that I caught up with every other one of them confused me on some <laughs> level um including the one that you were talking about bob 63 with john constantine like there's a reveal later in the issue that i was like well duh but it was nice to uh have it confirmed that that's what was going on mm-hmm. but it doesn't make it any more clear to me what i've been reading for the past few issues yeah and yet in the one we don't want to spoil too much for people who are doing the catch-up the one with Master Bruce, a couple issues back. Yeah. Too, that sort of guy. He's back from one of the issues in the 30s, right? 38, 37, somewhere back yeah. there. Um, but I mean, like, part of the part of the Tom King stuff for me is like the unpredictability of what we're gonna get every other week. You know, like we used to we used to religiously talk about this book every other week and arrange it so that Jess was on the show <laughs> specifically so we can all get in on Batman. Like, and now that like we've had the, the holiday break and everything like that, we're a little bit thrown from that routine, but um, it was fun catching up, like just to see this book that we've all been reading. And it's still that same satisfying, but weird and confusing ride that it's been for a long time now. And uh, I'm still enjoying it, but damn, like, there are aspects of what's happening right now in Batman that I just don't understand. So how crazy is it? We're up to 63, 64 already. Man. That biweekly schedule, man. It's crazy. I remember we were talking about rebirth, like number one, that big issue. What was that? Like maybe two best of shows ago. Like, yeah, that's, nope. it's wild. The one with, uh, what was it? Gotham and Gotham girl. Yes. 
Yeah. Wow. I think I think the bi-weekly books are down to what Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Superman, Superman, Superman still, and Action Comics and Detective. I think are still two. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't read Detective in a very long time. Yeah, Detective was the jam for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it really was the whole the whole team there, Bat Batwoman and Clayface. Yo. Yeah. Did you see the the little teaser for uh, Birds of Prey and the uh, yeah. fantabulous yes. emancipation of the Harley Quinn? Yeah. Blah blah blah. Yes. Oh, Sarah. Uh oh. Not a fan. <laughs> oh, Sarah, I, let's hear it. I couldn't really tell I, what the hell was happening, to be honest. Yeah, it was confusing. It jumped around a lot. I was quite underwhelmed. It was quite um, male gazy. Um, and I went into work this morning and one of the guys was like, oh my God, did you see it? What do you think? And I just went, it's not going to make me go and see the film. Yeah. And I'm fairly certain that's what it's designed to do. So it's fallen at the first hurdle for me. Yeah. It's hard because like, why do that? I think like, like why release that eight second tease of like glamour shots people drinking and whatever yeah yeah, yeah. you want to know do you really want to know why in my opinion um it's trying different strategies like dc has to do something to get themselves more than just aquaman and wonder woman like they need to really start like in this new round of movies that they have coming out with shazam and everything they need to grab the box office and I think that they're trying this like z- there's going to be a very like zany approach to the Birds of Prey movie. You're going to see very sporadic advertising for that uh, little clips like this. But like if you slow it down, like if you go on YouTube and you slow the speed down and you freeze frame some of that stuff and you can actually see some of the other characters, they look good. Yeah. So I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't know if like the male gazy thing just doesn't happen with me, but like I thought she looked pretty fabulous with like the giant streamers on her arms. It looked like a crazy like something Bjork would have in her closet <laughs> or something like that. Um, you're a big, I thought you're a big anything, Bjork fan. Well, yeah, I am. Well, she's my my absolute favorite. But like I, I'm glad that she's not she's no longer wearing a shirt that's all shredded up that says "Daddy's Little Monster" on it. Yeah. So that is true. That's at least a step in a better direction. I think but she is wearing the smallest crop top in the history of mankind. It's, I don't know. It just but she's got suspenders too. <laughs> that's yeah. not helping. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, like, I, for me, a birds of prey movie is, is a little different. If this were Gotham city sirens, right. It, it the trailer might play differently for me if you, that's what you were looking at. It still wouldn't be much better, but it would be a little. This, bit. this just, is going to be a Harley Quinn movie yeah, first, just, and Birds of Prey second. I'm yeah, well, sure. to what it is, you know, like I, I have no grasp of what the DC movie slate is. You know, like it, it, like I'm still surprised that Shazam is coming out in a couple of months. <laughs> like when people are like, "Yeah, Shazam yeah. this April," mm-hmm. I'm like, "What? Like that's happening?" You know, and it's the kind of thing that you know I'll go see. Same thing I I saw Suicide Squad. You know, like I'll mm-hmm. go and see it, but it's just not. It's it, it hasn't well, we latched on in any way. And I think you're right, Steve. Like they need to figure out how to grab 
they, they need to figure out how to get yeah. people excited about these movies. Think about this. How the hell are they going to market Ava DuVernay's new gods? Or, or what? Well, yeah, that's, that's what she's doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. With like dark side and Mr. Miracle and, and big Barda and all of those characters, like that's going to be interesting because they're going to have to turn people on to a whole bunch of characters that a lot of people are not aware of. Yeah. So I think the, the DC stuff is going to be interesting if nothing else in terms of their approach, but they like, they do like these little eight second teasers, like, advertisement for movies and stuff they're trying all kinds of weird tricks they have this really annoying thing now where like before major all trailers and stuff or major trailers at least uh they have like a three second sizzle reel yeah showing you like all the highlights before they actually show you the real trailer it's such a terror i hate that trend so much (laughs) um but yeah i mean the you're, I think you're going to see a lot of like you're going to see character videos for Birds of Prey. That's my prediction anyway. Like you're going to get a few more of these little ones, but it's going to be like there's going to be a Black Canary one. There's going to be a Renee Montoya one. There's going to be a Black Mask one, stuff like that. Um, I could be totally wrong, but I'm probably not. <laughs> but let's face it, they've got us talking about it. Yeah, yeah see, yeah. there you go. So and on a podcast, no less, thousands upon thousands of people <laughs> are now thinking of it's true. We have a lot of listeners. And now I'm terrified to speak because there are people listening to me. Well, Why guess what? You're that? going next. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Trial by <light> fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, are you good to go, Sarah? Um, yeah, but I haven't timed myself this week, so I have no idea how much over or under I am. You have the idea of five minutes on the clock. (laughs) Ready? Okay. Okay. Okay, go. Let's start off with a new number one this week, Guardians of the Galaxy from Donny Cates, Jeff Shaw, Marta Gracia, and VCs Corey Pettit. This book was touted by Marvel as a great jumping on point for new readers and fans of the MCU and fans of the Guardian movies. But to be honest, I think they lied. The word that springs to mind for me is chaotic. The story jumps around a lot. There's some characters I knew, but then there's a ton of characters that I either either vaguely recognized or just couldn't place at all. And I'm saying that as a comics fan. And even after reading it twice, I'm still not 100% sure I know what happened. However, on the plus side, the artwork is at times stunning. Mm-hmm. Howard the Duck makes an appearance. <laughs> and whilst Groot speaking English did throw me a little, I do appreciate his new hairstyle. You I'm like, you like sure. Sid Vicious Groot? Love it. Punk tree for the win. Um, I'm not sure if I'll dip my toe into issue two, but never say never. Um Although having said that, that's not a true statement. There are some things we should never return to, which brings me to my next book or books. Um, Last Sunday, 27th of January, was the International Day of Commemoration in Memory of the Victims of the Holocaust. Um, It's generally called Holocaust Remembrance Day. And I was shocked to read a news story that said one in 20 UK adults does not believe the Holocaust ever happened. And one in 12 people believe the scale of it has been exaggerated. And that really shocked me. And it brought me to a book on my shelves that I honestly think should be compulsory reading for everyone, no matter what age they are. And that is Mouse by Art Spiegelman. Um, It was first published in 1986 and it's subtitled A Survivor's Tale. 
Mouse tells the story of how Spiegelman's father remembers his life prior to and during World War II. The first volume, My Father Bleeds History, tells of Vladek Spiegelman's time in Poland as a Jew through flashbacks as he remembers his time then from his current home in New York City. The first volume takes us through the pre-war and early war years as his friends and family disappear or are murdered as less and less Jews can be seen on the streets as they're moved to ghettos and manage to avoid the death camps by hiding in cellars and barns and cesspits and even sometimes in plain sight. Um, the first volume ends with Vladek and his wife Anya being betrayed by people smugglers and transported to Auschwitz. And even in this first volume, when they haven't even gone to the death camp, there are panels and sections that just have me in floods of tears. Um, the second volume is subtitled And Here My Troubles Began. And this takes us through Vladek's hardships in Auschwitz. Um, but it also brings in Art's relationship with his father and the difficulty that they both have reconciling with the past. Um, Art-wise, all of the Jews are portrayed as mice and the Nazis are cats. And this artwork is simple but effective, and it portrays the horrors of war and the Holocaust in a way that is often stark and brutal. But it's also committed to showing the pain of Vladek's journey as well as being true to his story. Um, Mouse is a harrowing book to read. It's often shocking. It's never sugar-coated. And at a time when people seem to be forgetting the lessons of the past, you only have to look at what's happening in the world today. I think the mouse is a really simple but effective reminder of why we have to learn those lessons from the past. Um, and if you haven't read Mouse, please do go out and read it because it's incredibly important that everybody needs to understand what happened in the past and why we need to not be doing that again. Um and I'm really sorry to have brought the whole podcast down on that one, but yeah, yeah. I don't know where to go from there. No, I, <laughs> um, Mouse, yeah, the, Mouse is, a, is a truly. Go ahead, Bob. No, it's it's a masterpiece. It is groundbreaking in the time that that came out. Comics as, as graphic novels were just beginning to make their inroads. Mouse's book it's in every library at this point. It oh, yeah. taught in every school. It is. It, it is a way, as you're saying, Sarah, to get people to remember in a way that one more documentary on television, as great as they might be, or one more read of The Diary of Anne Frank is not going to have the same impact as something that comes seemingly from left field but still breaks your heart and, and makes you angry and frustrated all, all at once. Great mm -hmm. choice. Great choice. Indeed. Thank uh you. and well uh Sarah were you were you done? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We've talked uh, about mouse on the show before yes. but it's just uh you, we could spend hours talking about yeah. mouse. It's it's just an astonishing piece of uh piece of storytelling and piece of um history at this point. Mm. I think I read that just last year. Like early last year, or maybe the year before. Yeah, but it was it was recent. I feel I like I feel like we talked about Mouse like right after we had talked about March, and I was yes. just like back yes, to back. It so. was like this is a history <laughs> in, yeah. in graphic novel form, which is so cool. Yeah, Art Spiegelman's great, and he's kind of this icon in the um in that that branch of the the medium as well. Kind of went off the rails a little bit later in in life, but but as an artist and Mouse itself is just a, just an astonishing piece of um, 
like everybody should read it like mm-hmm. everybody should and and we do mm-hmm. like if you're it's hard because we live in a place where in new jersey new york like holocaust education is compulsory um it's not the case everywhere as sarah you're kind of getting at which is unfortunate mm. because um like that's people need to know <laughs> you know yeah. and uh and whether it's Mouse or Anne Frank or documentary or something, like you need, like the fact I saw those statistics too, and it was just like really, mm. like it's 2019, like really, mm. what this is the world that we're in, and it's it's unfortunate, and um, it's more than unfortunate, it's tragic, is is what it yeah. is, yeah, man, um, and. Uh, you know that's why books like Mouse are important. And Sarah, I don't know if you when I when you when you said in the in the, our kind of interact in our conversations before the show, I mentioned we spoke out, which was yes. a collection that got put out earlier this year, um, uh, which was a collection of of comics and shorts and and strips and things like that from the fifties, sixties, and seventies, where comics creators were basically like trying to do the work of of getting the word out about what had happened in the 40s because you know you think it's it's bad now in the aftermath of it a lot of it was let's forget that happened we don't want to think about what had happened and and a lot of these comics creators who were jewish or who had had family who went through the war or who were in the war you know um use the medium to to share those stories and to really explore those 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 that history that was was being covered up, um, so comics have always had that place, and it's one of the reasons why it's it's such an important medium. Mm. Mm-hmm. I did manage to check out a little bit of We Spoke Out, um, but I didn't feel that I'd got deep enough into the book to actually talk about it. But again, it, it's important that that people read it. Um, mm. And there was there were sort of you know strips in there and comics in there that I probably would never ever have seen otherwise yeah. because you just don't see them. No. Yeah. Hmm. Um. If I could just riff on your Guardians of the Galaxy for a moment, Sarah. Yes. So. Talk to me about this book. <laughs> even though I have other books to talk about, this was actually my favorite book that I read this week. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was awesome. So here's the deal. It's ba- it, it is post, I think the, the event was Infinity Wars, uh, the one where it was revealed, by the way, super spoilers, if you have not been keeping up with the Marvel Universe, which I have not. So I've had to just figure some of this stuff out and look a few things up. But uh, Gamora took Thanos's head. In the Infinity Wars event. Bro, that so was like issue one. Get out of here. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> he's, so he's dead now. And his brother's throwing him a funeral. And all of like all of the heroes, all the people that we you know would love to attend the the uh, the funeral of the Mad Titan, they're all there. And basically brother comes up and he's like, Hey, you all know how you think Thanos is dead? Well, he left us all a note. Watch the hologram <laughs> video. And Thanos is like, ah, you'll never be rid of me. I've got a plan. Like, you know, he's he's Jigsaw all of a sudden of the Marvel Universe. He's, he's left a whole bunch of breadcrumbs for people to find after he's dead. And um, he basically announces that a whole bunch of stuff is going down. And <sighs> things go haywire. 
and everybody gets blown up. Like nowhere, the the place in the Marvel Universe disappears, shows up elsewhere, moves, blasts everybody to high hell. Only like some of the scrappiest of the scrappers are left, and they somehow, I won't say how, they end up aboard uh, Quill and Groot's ship. And rather than turn them over to the authorities, Quill proclaims that they are now his guardians of the galaxy. Here's the thing, though. Um, This is Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw. So this is the team that did God Country. So that being one of my favorite things that I've read in in the last little while... I was really super excited uh, to read this. Uh, I think both of them are on fire with this book, doing what they do best. Uh, but like, I have all these questions as to what happened. Like, they talked to Quill about the Guardians of the Galaxy at one point. Apparently, Drax is dead. Uh, nobody's speaking with Rocket Raccoon anymore, and I don't know why. And I'm just like super curious. Like, what did he do? So anyway, uh, Groot is running around. He has like thorns growing out all over him and he's fashioned them into like shoulder pads and stuff <laughs> and he's got a mohawk now and he's somehow like nine feet tall so i have no idea what's going on with him and um just randomly speaking english what is the yeah and when the hell did that happen like he's talking he's not i am grooting around he's actually like flipping quill off and and all these things he's like a petulant punk rocker uh, yeah. aboard the ship um, but it's crazy like holes are being ripped in the universe people are, are are dying or disappearing left and right and now like there's only this ragtag band of people that will you know stand up against Thanos' new plan and it's like oh it's ridiculous uh, at one point Star yeah. does say yeah well I am Groot yourself pal yeah. <laughs> I, just, I was like yes that is, li- that is, yeah, I really, I really liked it. I like, I have not read Guardians of the Galaxy in a long time. There are a lot of characters sitting at the funeral. I have no idea who they are, uh, but I think the, I think the, the ideas behind it and what, what unfolds throughout the issue is enough to, to keep me going. And I just, I really like this creative team. I think they work very well together. Um, so I have, I have high hopes for this. I'm going to keep checking it out. I loved God Country, so I figured, you know, I couldn't really go too far wrong. Yeah. Maybe. All right. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Hey, you know what? It might not be for everybody. I might not like it in two issues from now. We'll see. We will. That's the thing. You can always change your mind. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Joey, how do you feel about going next? I would love to go next. Ooh. Well, then. I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for you. And dazzle us. Yo, Cyclops is back. <laughs> it's everything I ever wanted. Yo, Uncanny X-Men Annual number one, baby. Let's go. Ed Brisson and Carlos E. Gomez. So Cyclops actually came back shockingly at the end of Extermination number five. And everyone was like, what? And then he showed up again at the end of Uncanny X-Men number 10. And everyone was like, oh. That's sad. But finally, here in the annual, we get the explanation for his revival after his death of Mpox or whatever nonsense, inhuman nonsense, <laughs> went down back then. Um, something to do with the Phoenix and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Whatever, man. Cyclops <laughs> is back. This was a cool issue. Um, first of all, I just want to throw some props to uh, Gomez and color work by Guru E FX, if you will. Um, 
they tell the main storyline of kind of Scott being revived everything on on Muir Island and all of that but they also flash back to like a vintage story that takes us back to early yellow and blue suit young cyclops adventure where he saves this dude um, it's really cool and I I flip back to see if this was like another artist doing it and it's not it's actually the same art team doing both stories which is really cool to see um, the writing's okay from Ed Brisson I don't I don't think it was um, particularly dazzling if you will I, I think that the team of Matt Rosenberg Ed Brisson and Kelly Thompson on the first Uncanny X-Men uh, first 10 issues that storyline you kind of got used to that synergized voice and having Ed Brisson by himself was a little bit of a, a jar there um, I'm a little upset that Emma Scott seems to be a thing of the past as we all know how I feel about <laughs> Emma and Scott Bob I don't want to get into yeah. it okay no um, but the conceit is rad how Cyclops comes back and, and how we have this dude that he saves ends up being an integral part of that. Um, and young cable becomes kind of this like puppet master kind of thing that's going on too. It's a very interesting relationship. Um, and there's this element of radical Scott that I hope they don't get rid of. It's kind of present here. I, I, I hope they hold on to it. Um, it's a little apologetic, um, and I, I hope we don't move too far away from that Scott who is the, the hero, uh, that Scott who was right, if you will. But you know I'm a fan of Cyclops, and I'm glad he's back, so let's go. I, I think it's really, really cool to see. Um, I also this week read Volume 1 of Polar. Um, so Polar is a webcomic and a series of graphic novels by Victor Santos, whom I've talked about a few times on the show as the spectacularly pulpy artist behind such books as Violent Love over at Image. We talked a lot about, a lot about that last year. Um, mm-hmm. Polar is a hitman comic starring international hitman Kaiser Black. Very art heavy, very Sin City, blacks and whites with some shots of color, stylized, very light on dialogue, moody and suggestive in its violence. It's a really cool book. I was watching Punisher, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, um, and I saw Polar drop on Netflix starring Mad Mickelson and Vanessa Hutchins, and I was like, it looks so comic booky and weird. I wonder. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it on sale on Comixology, and I was like, well, there we go. So I watched the film. Um, it's very kind of like Lucky Number Slevin. I don't know if any of you saw that movie. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. Right. It's like right. mid-2000s, color blast, hyper-violent, aggressively bloody and weird. Mads Mickelson yeah. is great. I was super into it i thought it was fun um and then i went and read the book and it's really awesome as well there are about four volumes of it and a zero volume on comiXology last weekend they were all four dollars i don't know if they they're still on sale but but sale but anyway the book and the film are fairly similar kaiser is a hitman for damocles this organization of assassins he's retiring and damocles doesn't do so well with retirees so the contract is out if you know what I mean. Um, the film adds a lot more context and storytelling, including a subplot with Vanessa Hudgenson's character that humanizes uh, Mads Mikkelsen's Kaiser Black a little bit. Vanessa Hudgens, fun fact, who is also in Rent Live. Um, the main difference is that whereas Santos is all subtlety and panel design and it's all black and white, so you can't really tell when people are bleeding out all over the place, the film by Jonas Ackerland, who's a music video director, is like has no subtlety at all. It's like <laughs> it's like desensitized rock video action flick boobies and bullets and butts and blood everywhere like it does not stop and you know sometimes that's just what you want to watch on a saturday night i mean let's be real so 
It was fun. <laughs> I liked reading it. I liked watching it too. I think both were pretty cool. Um, two kind of quick shots here. I also read Naomi number one from Brian Michael Bendis, David F. Walker, and artist Jamal Campbell. Holy damn, this book was awesome. Um, yep. Naomi is an adopted teenager with a desire to feel like she's worth a damn in this big blossoming world of superheroes and gods. And then one day Superman himself comes blasting through a small town during a brawl and she like misses it. <laughs> and uh, she's upset about that. Uh, so as Naomi searches for any references that her small town got visited by the superest of supermen, she starts to wonder if she herself, being adopted and from a small town, and also something odd may have happened right around the time she was adopted, might be a little super herself. Uh, spunky, inclusive, dynamic, and fresh. This entry into Bendis' Wonder Comics line is the number one I always wanted. It was really awesome, and the art is spectacular. Um, and the last thing I'll say, I read Buffy the Vampire Slayer number one from Boom. This is the reboot. Um, Joss Whedon is involved, but Jordi Belair, whoa, Jordi's writing with art by Dan Mora. It's a reboot. They tell, you know, uh, Buffy Summers is kind of first entry into, into Sunnydale and she meets, uh, Willow and, and Xander for the first time and Aww. Anya shows up. It's cool. It, 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 it was so fun kind of being back at the beginning a little bit. The art's great. Jordi Belair's writing is, is really fun, too. It's different from, from the first episode, which is really cool, too. It's going to go into some, some, some new places. Um, I love Buffy, and I'm really excited to, to kind of see where it goes. You know who else loves Buffy? Buffy? Eisner Award-winning Professor Carolyn Coca, who yeah. <laughs> uh, she's all over the show tonight. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I've read some really cool stuff this week. I had a good week with comics and comics-related things. So um, it was good. It was cool. Very cool, man. Um, I also enjoyed Naomi quite a bit. I think that uh, that series is going to be fun. Yeah, um, I'm excited to read Wonder Twins too. That they yeah. uh, they kind of teased. Preview, at the yeah, end of that. Look, looks good. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the the Wonder Comics line so far is uh, I'm reading at least two things from it, maybe a third, yeah. uh, real soon. So that's cool. I will tell you, I was reading it and I was like. Damn, Bendis! Like, how many double page spreads did you make, uh, Jamal, uh, Jamal Campbell? Yeah, draw? the art in that book is serious. <laughs> man. It's so good, but I just like kept flipping through, and I was like, "Damn, these are like huge splash pages." I would yeah. be so pissed. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about like art in comics. Like, I'm about to talk about something that I just I look at it, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, like, if I even attempted to put something like this together, it would take me. Like, I'm not an artist, but it would take me years and this is just one page of something. Yeah. And when you look at, at something like Jamal Campbell stuff, and I'm going to talk about Christian Ward in a minute, oh. I just, I, I, I just don't know anything anymore. Yeah. When I look at some of these pages, like I look, I looked him up, um, not to go off on a tangent, but like Christian Ward, I looked him up on, uh, the old internet just to like see if he had a like I want him to have a shop. I think it's he's actually working on it right now, but I want to get like a print of his uh, or something of some kind. Um but the level of detail and just the style and the artistry and that he went from doing like advertisements for like movie posters and products and stuff like that and now he's doing this stuff mm-hmm. and it just page after page after page of just oh my god, I would give anything to own like uh, an original page from him, like buy it at some kind of con or something and frame it and keep it in, in, in its own room or something. Yes. Yeah. Can I tell you a story about Christian Ward? Sure. Surely. So I have a minor Zatanna obsession. Um, 
and he was opening his shop and he was showing off some prints and I was like oh I really wish you had a Zatanna print so he basically dug out an old image and he was like oh I did this picture years ago what do you think and I just I fell in love I was like she's beautiful it's gorgeous I need it um and he sort of went oh there's not really much call for it but I can do your one-off print of it but it'll be like 75 pounds and I was like I will take it I don't need to eat this week that's fine I love it (laughs) Um, but then a whole group of other people on Twitter were like, yeah, but we love it too. Um, so he put the print in his shop. So I bought one and they were like, you know, standard print cost like 25, 30 pounds. Um, and when he posted it to me, not only did he send me the Zatanna print, he also put two other prints in as well with a little note saying, thank you for like spreading the word about my shop. So I got the Zatanna print. I've got a gorgeous Peter Capaldi Doctor Who um, and also an image of his called The Kiss which I will send you a copy of because oh it is beautiful fantastic um, and now I need some more walls regarding is it my the, turn oh sorry oh, I just, go ahead, Joey. regarding the artwork thing like it's funny because I'm teaching right now I'm teaching Jean Luen Yang's American Born Chinese to my freshman and oh, nice. um, it's it's funny thinking about it from that perspective because I'm teaching them about like you know comic book conventions and what all these things are are called right like we take it for granted like panels and gutters borders and word you know word like balloons, we take it right? for granted yeah. but to watch these like 14 year olds who aren't necessarily um uh as engaged with the medium as we are like using this language it, it's really cool and doing all the kind of english class stuff where they're talking about symbolism and visuals and things like that you realize just how much goes into what goes into a panel Right and the and the way mm-hmm. that these stories are told across these these different sequences of of art and you know it's been a while since I've picked up McLeod and and read that Understanding Comics book and 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 having to go through that again has been really great and it's funny too because there are things that even I don't know what they're called and I I want to give credit where it's due I reached out to friend of the pod Kristen Gudsnuck to to ask a question <laughs> about something that I noticed in some of her work. And um, and it was so funny because I was like, hey, you know, the kids have noticed this thing in, in Making Friends because I showed them some panels from Making Friends. Mm. And I was like, what do, you, what do you call this device that you use? What do you call this like artistic quirk that, that comes up in your art? And she was like, I have no idea. I, I just I, <laughs> It's a sound effect, I think. And it, it was so funny kind of talking shop in that way because like – it's storytelling and you just kind of find the the best way to tell it and everybody has a different style to do it and that's what makes comics so different from something like prose where you have you know words that you use like the combination mm-hmm. of the visuals and the, and the and the words together through all these conventions and through all of these different kind of techniques is it's a really cool medium and it's cool that we get to talk about it every week sorry to distract from the lightning rounds but i'm just gonna float over now <laughs> Yeah, Indeed. I, can, can you imagine the horror of you're a professional comic book artist and you've got sort of a script, maybe it's Marvel method, create something. Right? Right. Yeah, okay, I'll do 14 pages and it's got to be dramatic yeah. and visual at the same time. Never lose the thread of what the words are going to be afterwards. There's a lot of pressure on both sides of the writer and artist equation. Yeah. And that so often it comes out as wonderfully as it does is really pretty amazing. Yeah. And that ends up being Fantastic Four number 48 or whatever. You know, like, yeah. it's crazy. Right. Where, where uh, Stan didn't say anything to Jack about 
one character and got the page back. Hey, Jack, who's this guy on the surfboard? <laughs> <laughs> well, a demigod like Galactus isn't going to show up. He'd have a herald. Makes sense. Print it. <laughs> I often wonder... Um, oh, I'm sorry, Bob. Go ahead. I was just like, uh, I'm going to blow the number. I'm probably going to be on the wrong side of this, but I think it's 1964, 65, each of those two years. Jack Kirby drew something on the order of 2,000 pages a year wow. of comic book art. That's six pages a day. Um, yeah. What I was going <laughs> to say is I often wonder when it comes to some of like the Marvel and DC artists that when it comes their time to be on a book, like let's say it's their first one or whatever, and you, you have to draw Atlantis. And like, wh- like, what do you do? Like, do you use a bunch of other stuff that's come before it? Yeah. Do you just draw your own version? Like, what's in your mind? Like, ima- like, until like building bricks, right? And having to build off of foundations upon foundations upon foundations of art, where like you almost can't go back to the very first stuff to see what was there because so much is missing at that point. Right. You know, you don't want to look at the '50s version of Aquaman. You're going to probably need to look at the last few. But yeah. there are some things. Look, if you're drawing the Batcave, you better draw that penny. You better draw that damn penny. Right? <laughs> or if you're like, if you're a fill-in artist, right? And like you're doing one issue, and you got to have like all that other. You got to have those other issues that you're working from around to make sure that you are consistent in your depiction of these like places. And these people and whatever, uh, like you know, the the, the central the central console goes on this side of the room. That kind of crap. Oh, absolutely! And those pearls better fall off Martha's neck. Every yeah. damn time. There's an arc to it. Yeah, <laughs> they hit the floor a certain way. One of them weighs more than the others. Um, all right, we still have lightning rounds to do. I've got one for y'all. We'll see how this goes. Uh, I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for me, even though I'm totally going to go over because I am going to probably rant at some point. Yeah, yeah, I got one of those for this this episode. All right, here we go. Five minutes on the clock and go. Thor number one through nine, written by Jason Aaron, art by Mike Del Mundo and Christian Ward and Tony Moore with colors by John Rausch. Thor number one through four picks up where Aaron's the mighty Thor left off with Thor Odinson back as the God of Thunder. The Rainbow Bridge destroyed and Malekith making plans for his War of the Realms. Uh, so there's Mead. There's a wedding. Mad Max-like monster trucks. Cinder, Queen of <laughs> Muspelheim. More Mead. Beheadings. Dragons. Lava rhinoceroses. Yes. <laughs> and of course, Thori, the murder dog. Yes. Okay. I love Thori. Thori is amazing. Uh, it's all beautifully rendered by Mike Del Mundo, who, as you are likely to know, is one of my all-time favorite artists. I've wanted to see him on a Thor book since the days of like Elektra and Weird World. I always said that he would be uh, a cool fit for Asgardia. And while I will admit that I don't always know right away what's going on panel for panel in his art, sometimes I like I get a little bit lost. But it's always so cool to try to like decipher it and just he's he's amazing i love his use of color i love his use of outlining things um with this kind of like ethereal light that he has to all of his stuff uh and just the color combinations and creatures that he comes up with i think are just incredible uh anyway 
the reason I wanted to bring Thor up is because issues five and six that have art by Christian Ward, mm-hmm. which is this old man Thor and old man Logan story. It begins with them meeting in a bar uh, and like just talking to each other and talking about their favorite places to drink throughout uh, Midgard and whatnot. And uh, it flashes to untold eons from them where Thor is just, he's like this, this ruined God that has become so powerful and, and, and so ridiculous that he meets up with old man Logan, who is like all white whiskers and flames behind his eyes. And he's possessed by the Phoenix, but it's like Phoenix to a thousand fold. And he's got these giant fiery wings sprouting out of his back. Uh, his blades are fire, like all of this stuff. These issues were absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. If you're not reading Thor at all, do yourself a favor. Pick up issues five and six of the new run by Jason Aaron. They are gorgeous. Every uh, single page. Bob, you know, you've read I've been these. saying, I've been saying. All oh, my long. God. Yeah. The whole thing, like when... Uh, it's a two-parter, so spoilers for the first issue. But Doctor Doom yeah. shows up, but sort of. he's, sort he's of. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got some. He's got some stuff going on. Um, and the then granddaughters too. Yeah, it's it was just an absolutely like a, a, a double tap of amazing, amazing storytelling. Um, just a two-issue, two-issue epic with some of the most astounding art I've seen probably ever from Christian Ward uh, and just in general and, in, in a comic book, like I need to own the hardcover of this or whatever they've got, because I, I need like a nice print version of these issues. They're, they're absolutely amazing. Um, so that's Thor. And uh, how much time do I got here? Oh, I got a minute and 18 seconds. Yeah, this is not going to happen. All right. So, Joey talked about Punisher season two last week, and now it is my turn. Uh, I will say up front that I have not watched the entire season. So my opinion of the events of this could change, but I don't know. Uh, I have watched issues and issues. Oh my God. Episodes one through seven. So there are 13 episodes though. I don't know why they chose 13 episodes for this. Uh, like Joey said last week, first three episodes, awesome. Loved it. Um, very tense, very cool. And Punisher kind of like just holding it down, doing what he does. Uh, a couple of cool, uh, like moments and, and, you know, whatever. Uh, the problem that I have with Punisher season uh, uh, two uh, is that for me personally, it took a real dive come episode four through the seven that I've watched. Uh, I like the character chemistry between Frank and Amy. At one point, probably around episode four-ish, uh, they kind of get on the level with one another. And they have one episode in particular that I thought was a lot of fun and very cool. But, oh my god. Just about everyone else, save for Frank, Amy, and I cannot remember his name, but Frank's um, counselor, war buddy guy. Uh, I enjoy them a lot. However, Billy, a.k.a. Jigsaw, 
Madani, uh-huh. Dr. Dumont, John Pilgrim, uh, a.k.a. the Mennonite. All boring. All of them. <laughs> all so dreadfully boring. I, I, I do not like the villains in this season. Uh, I thought Madani was a relatively compelling character in the first one. I thought she had a lot to work with. Here, she's just kind of dull and odd and she some of the some of the like lines that she delivers man like i'm surprised that they didn't ask her to do another take because some of the some of her more intense moments fall really flat for me when she's kind of arguing with frank about what to do and and where they're headed and stuff like that um but i mean overall it just it takes forever for anything to happen and the show spends at least episodes 6 and 7 developing like sub subplots with some of the more secondary characters. And unfortunately for me, just it's it's a bunch, it's a grouping of characters that I already don't care about. So that portion of the show has been really boring for me. I don't care about Dr. Dumont's vertigo at all. Uh, Billy's stuff is they're They're just, they're just waiting for him to wake up to the fact that it's Frank. And, And the idea that it's like, we're seven episodes in that hasn't happened yet. Uh, is disappointing and um yeah i i don't need to watch a punisher show where you've got the punisher for two whole episodes sitting on a couch falling asleep to the news and then in the morning eating a bowl of cereal <laughs> i don't I, that's why what are we doing <laughs> it's called the punisher all right i'm it's just really saying punishing those cornflakes what can i tell you yeah anyway <laughs> Um, and there's also there that for some reason they, they, they handed out this mandate, I think, uh, in like the round room, right. Where they're figuring out what they're going to do. And they got all their directors together and they're like, all right, listen, this is going to be our hook for season two. You ready? Every couple of scenes, you're going to, you're going to focus out of what's going on and you're going to focus on something entirely arbitrary. And then you're going to leave the camera there and make the people that are watching the show kind of nauseous until it stops. And you're going to do it again later, like 23 minutes later, do it again. And we're just going to, we're just going to put it into people throughout the season. Um, There's a lot of weird camera tricks in this season that I don't like. And for a show that is going from one director to another uh, throughout the season, it's odd that this kind of method pops up again and again and it's really distracting and uh no sir i don't like it (laughs) so yeah i it sucks you know i really really liked the punisher season one a lot i'm hoping that something happens between now and the end of it um i'll be damned if i don't finish out the netflix marvel stuff uh if punisher ends up being the last thing from them possibly jessica jones season three i don't know uh, but yeah, like I'm just, I'm disappointed. Like I, I totally love Bernthal as the Punisher, as Frank. I love his grunty, grumbling, almost inaudible way of speaking. It <laughs> cracks me up. It's so funny. Just anybody talks to him. He's just, he doesn't even like move his mouth. He's just like, what, what are you talking about? I want John Bernthal to take his Punisher character and do a Rambo movie. <laughs> it's it's perfect. It's perfect. Like, um, but yeah, like I I just I've I'd kind of had my fill of uh, the Netflix stuff. I think when like season two of Luke Cage 
rolled around and it ended the way it did. And I was just like, I don't know. Because yeah. I think what happens is it becomes a TV show and it loses its kind of like, it loses that self-contained narrative, right? Yeah, like, like looking back on all the Netflix stuff, like I'm starting to wonder how much of it was really good to begin with. Because I find that like, I really enjoy, and I'm not saying that it doesn't have good stuff. It does. There are some Daredevil seasons that are great. Love, love the first season of Jessica Jones. Second season of Iron Fist had its redeeming qualities, so on and so forth. But I forget a lot about what happened, um, which is not surprising, <laughs> given mm-hmm. given my memory. But um, I just, I never feel compelled to go back to it. Of course. Uh, at any point. And... I just I, I think about how much time they spend just kind of dicking around like and, and mm-hmm. Punisher season two is kind of the most offensive in that way in that it really feels like the writers are just like, hey, look, they when they we walked in the room, they told us this needed to be 13 episodes. So, so uh, Frank's got to sit on the couch, baby. Yeah, so Frank's, eat Frank's some cereal. Frank's going to fall asleep on the couch, and Frank's going to eat some cereal. Yeah. Frank's going to go talk to a guy and then just walk away because he a, has a moment. It's a bummer because those first three episodes is like, that's what the Punisher should They're be. so good. Punisher first in a van so driving around the country, and when shit happens, he deals with it, right? Yeah. Like, yep. that's, what Gar- that's what made Garth Ennis' run on Punisher and Steve Dillon's run on Punisher so good, right? Because that was Frank in the van dealing yeah. with shit. And when I saw those first three episodes, I was like, holy crap, this is going to be great. And we didn't have any of that Madani stuff. We didn't – like Billy showed up a couple of times or whatever, Billy Russo. And <laughs> and then and then when we go to New York or whatever, you know um, – it just it just got bogged down in all that long term yeah. season TV storytelling. Yeah. It feels like they're stalling with Billy. Like they're just they're just biding their time right. and 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 you know peppering in the Mennonite who is just the most cliched religious villain character. He's oh. you know he's, he's whipping himself and the but it's all the same shit that you've seen in yeah. a thousand other things. I like the Mennonite in the first three episodes. The fact that he's still around in episode five, six, seven, I'm like, get the hell out of here. What are we doing? Right. Because well, they're keeping him around because Billy's sorting through his mess. Right. It's 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 um it's it's a bummer because like you said, that that Punisher and it's the same thing with like the Punisher anytime. Like, do you really want to read seventy issues of the Punisher, or do you want to read the five issue Punisher War Zone story? Yeah. You know, like that—that's the you. thing. Like, like if you go back and read Ruckus Run on Punisher from like five, six years ago or something like that, I think it was like fourteen issues maybe, and then it had the War mm-hmm. Zone stuff. That's like the best Punisher. And what's great about that Punisher too is like. He's barely in it, you know. Like, like the Punisher mm-hmm. is a character that kind of he he's the Punisher, and that's it. What makes the Punisher so interesting is the people around him and the people that are influenced by him and the people that see him doing what he's doing. That's why those first three episodes were so good because you had the Punisher and you had the Amy character coming in and you had the cops at that you know backwater you know town. Mm-hmm. Seeing the like, that's why those episodes that wedding were so opening. Good. Oh yeah, that's why those episodes were so good because they weren't about the Punisher. 
the Punisher is just there to shoot some damn guns, right? What's interesting is how everybody else responds to the Punisher. Like, yeah. nobody cares. What do you think Frank's doing when he's not shooting people in the head? He's sitting on the couch eating some damn cereal. <laughs> That's what he's doing. We don't need to see that. Like, don't show me that. I don't need to see that. Get out of here. Mm. <laughs> well, you've sold me. I'm going to go and watch it straight away. <laughs> hey, look. Everything I've said, totally go and watch it. Make your own opinion. I'm going to continue to watch it despite yeah. like being iffy on it. Like once the phones came out, like Bronwyn and I watch all this stuff together, right? So we're on the couch and I noticed that like episode six and seven we're playing uh clock masters on our phones or whatever. Wow. All these things are going on. Like, and that was the sign to me. And like we we had to push ourselves to watch the seventh episode. And then at the end of the seventh episode, like it picks up again a little bit, like a teeny tiny little bit. And you're like, oh, wait, oh, wait, hey, honey, wake up, wake up. You know, stuff's going down. You know, it's it's time to pay attention again. And the episode just ends. And so, like, <laughs> eight, eight will likely open up and be like, you know, the big open and whatever. But I just, I wonder, are we going to go back to the nothing that we were doing before, after that? Or can we, like, can we ride the wave? So... Anyway, um, go watch it if you want to check it out. Make your own opinion. Because um, Bernthal is great. Oh, he's I, I, I really do like him a lot as Frank Castle. I, I, he's, one of the, he's one of the things that is keeping me there for this season. So I get a complete and total kick out of his, like his Punisher, his grumbly, grunty-ass bleeding profusely punisher and uh rapid healing effects this guy he uh he bounces back pretty quick i don't think it's rapid healing effects i don't think that dude can walk straight and you can kind of tell like john bernthal's punisher like literally cannot stand up for like an episode like he's just like i uh, need, I need to sit down. i can't even do it he's like well, i need to sit down like he doesn't move his mouth when he speaks i can't tell if that's because he just never moves his mouth or he's been punching the head too many times <laughs> It's it's really cool. I, I like I like there are those moments where I'm just like this is the freaking coolest thing ever, and then I'm like I'm taking a nap on the couch. Like this this mm-hmm. is a, it's a lot. I, I I you're right. I don't know. Like this is the this is the tail end of it. You know, like we might get another season of Jessica Jones, maybe. But, maybe. Uh, but it's uh, this is it. So you gotta fin- you gotta finish it out just for completion's sake. You know. In order to win a war, <laughs> in order to win a war, you've got to become war. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go into some open discussion. By the way, after we hit the open discussion, we have some lovely listener questions to go through. I forgot to mention that at the top of the show, but now that we have taken care of that, let's talk about Aquaman number forty-four. Sarah, you said that you had some thoughts and feelings about the new qua would you care to share them i do have thoughts and feelings um i love this i absolutely love what kelly pseudoconic is doing with this book um this is part two of five of um it starts off with a few pages that are absolutely gorgeous um they don't tell you a lot but you learn a lot. It's that beautiful thing that Kelly Sue does where she uses very little words, but 
you can read in between what's being said and you get so much information from it. Um, I hope you're not expecting me to explain what happens in this book because I can't. Um, you have to read it. The writing is just so intelligent and it just it doesn't talk down to you. It It's like Kelly Sue holds your hand through the book. Um, and it's beautiful. That is the every panel, every page that I look at, this book is gorgeous. There's a whole section where um, you're looking at a character, but you're also looking at flames in front of them. And in the flames, there's visual representations of what they're saying. And it is so gorgeous. Um, and it's really sexy as well. Like the first section when Mira's talking, you know, she's like she's she's having a moment there. Um, some books I read and it's just all about the art, and some books it's just all about the writing. But Aquaman Forty Four, it just ticked all my boxes. Um, it was just so so good, and that's an Aquaman book I'm talking about. So, anyone else like it, or is it just me raving over here? No, I'm as in love with it as you are. It, Kelly Sue, uh, Robson Roca, uh, Daniel Enriquez on pencils and ink, respectively. Sonny Cho's colors, just mm. amazing. And, and even the lettering. And there, that sequence with the flames and everything has the various people are talking and there's you get the bold and the changing shape of letters, too. But we've got a lovely mystery surrounding... Arthur, Andy, Orozio, whoever he is, and his time in this little village of unspoken water. And just as you're saying, we are being led into this a little bit at a time. And that's mm. not unexpected in a book by, by Kelly Sue, because you, you're getting that sharp dialogue, the things unsaid, as just as you're saying, the characterizations across the board, the, the, the mysterious old lady, we, who's definitely got some stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Not to mention Kaylee, who we don't know what's happening yet. So all these things are coming in in little bits and pieces. The artwork is staggering with, with this team. There are mm-hmm. subtle moments. Just that, that opening sequence with Mera as she's crafting her sculpture, I guess you'd, you'd have to call it, all handled so, so well. I, I'm a very casual Aquaman reader. I've been on and off the book for years and years. I'm All you have to know is sort of who Aquaman is. Try these first two issues out. You're going to be hooked. Mm-hmm. Joey, any thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of the sentiments here. I think the artwork's great. I think Kelly Sue's writing is great, too. There was that weird kind of segment back in the end of it, towards the back half, where they're all kind of like... And I am the goddess of this, and we're looking in the fire and throwing Midnight Society stuff going around. I was like, what is happening? I got a little lost in there a little bit. Um, I loved that I bit. Know, I, yeah. I love that part too. Much. I, I think I've literally written down the faces in the flames. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> yes. maybe it was like maybe I just like had no idea what was happening, and then I just like, was kind of taken out of it. But it, it went to some places, and I was like, you know what? I respect that. <laughs> like she's telling something very interesting with, with the story that um, I think Aquaman has been a lot of things and uh, Kelly Sue's really putting her own kind of 
staple on it, which is really cool to see. You know, especially coming off of the whole war for Atlantis craziness that 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 Stepan mm. was doing. You know, yeah. Um, it, it's really cool to kind of see uh, something totally different from that. And Bob, to your point too, anybody coming in off the movie can come in and kind of just be in a fresh story that even Aquaman doesn't know who he is, you know? Yeah, so, there you go. So it works out <laughs> in, in that sense. I liked it. I think it's a great ending to this issue as well, and I'll probably stick around for a couple more just to see where it goes. Um, but I like it. It's cool. Right on. Um, I don't know what I can add to that. Well, it sounded for a minute like you had more thoughts. Did you Did you want to share anything else? I just no, I just want to rave about how there's only sort of three pages at the start that have got Mira and she's obviously got a lot going on. But just that first page, it is so sexy. That is the only word I can use to explain it. Oh, yeah. Where she's where she's talking about I've been the water on his skin, trace the contours of his <laughs> neck. I'm sitting there and I'm like Oh, make make no mistake. Like Aquaman has become DC's like sexy fisherman novel. Mm -hmm. A little bit. I think so. Yes. Yes, it has. The water is warm. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's talk about the avant guards. Number one. Joey. Avant guards. This book was so good. You have to uh, introduce it like that every time. Oh my God. This was from Carly Houston from uh, Heavy Vinyl Fight Club or whatever the hell that book was called. Um, and Noah Hayes, colored by Rebecca Nulty, letters by Ed Dukeshire. This was from Boom, baby. Boombox. Um, Charlie Bravo is a new transfer student to Georgia O'Keeffe College of Arts and Subtle Dramatics, (laughs) where everything is open to interpretation. As a new student, Charlie faces that struggle of finding her place and wanders into the student activities fair, which is absolutely hilarious in its sight gags and Easter eggs. Um, Charlie meets the avant-garde. Get it? It's an art school, which is the school's (laughs) startup basketball team, which is just short one player. Charlie's interested, but reticent for reasons. Um, ultimately it takes a little opening up and a little honesty and sincerity for Charlie to join up and take us barreling toward what I think is going to be a super fun super charming coming of age sports college book from boombox it's like fence plus giant days plus mm-hmm. like every everything that they've ever done backstages all mashed together into this really spectacular book um it, it's uh, we've been following boombox for a long time we were reading giant days we read backstages we read fence we read dodgeballs dodge dodge city we read um, the misfits we read heavy vinyl fight club like we've read all these books and avant-garde is just like all those pieces put together it really is and i'm in like this is the kind of thing that i love going to boom for like, I will always pick up a boombox number one because I know that it's going to tell a story that is inclusive, it is sincere, it is authentic, it's funny, it's charming, and I'm just, I'm here for it. I think it's so, 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 so good. And what's so great about this book in particular is I was flipping back through it before we started the show tonight, and it's not a lot of, not a lot of dialogue. A lot of it's told visually. There's a lot of beautiful, beautiful artwork and panel layouts in, in this book that I think it's just, it's great. And I'm really hyped to continue reading avant-garde. Uh, loved heavy vinyl. Um, 
What was it originally called? It wasn't called Heavy Vinyl. High, high Five High, five, five, high, yeah, high, high five, five, five Fight Club. Club. That's what it was. That's why we called it Heavy Vinyl Fight Club. Yeah. You know, seeing Carly Houston's name on the book and seeing the solicit that it was like this this next giant days, I was like, I got to give it a shot. And it lived up to those expectations and more. I, I was I was very, very, very down um, with this book. Very taken with it. Yeah, man. It goes hard for that. Everything that you described, like you really really describe this book to a T, but I got, even from the very first page, when you're you're entering the school, like, welcome, new students. I was like, oh, here we go. Giant Days 2.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was wonderful. It, it left me with such a good feeling. Uh, really love the art, love the characters. Like you said, the inclusivity. I have been absolutely loving Fence ever since I started reading it, and now I can't get enough of it. And this feels like a really, really nice compliment to that book and uh it's really cool to see carly Usten uh doing another jam where there's just there's so many cool characters uh to get to know and everything and i'm excited for it anybody else yes okay i love this book okay <laughs> I, Tell us. I liked it i liked it anyway from the start and then when you get to the student activities fair and <laughs> there is a chef and her sign says endless Pastabilities. Oh. <laughs> that was it. I was like, this. They, they, they saw me coming. I'm just going to throw my money at them. Um, it's it's not um, it's not like groundbreaking. It, it, there's things in here that you've seen in like a hundred teen movies before. You've got you know the the stroppy roommate that complains on the phone, and you've got the annoying sister texting. But the way they bring it all together. It just works so well, and so much of it is done through the expressions on Charlie's face. She just, she says so, so much through her face. It's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And did anybody else notice an American Psycho reference, or was it just me? Yes. Okay, I'm glad that wasn't just me. I read that. I was like, that seems slightly out of place. The one about the cardstock? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's it's beautiful, it's bright, it's vibrant, it's fun, it's cute, and I want more of it now. <laughs> now. Joey was talking about sight gags and you were talking about like facial expressions and stuff. I love that moment where Charlie meets up with Olivia in the basketball court in the morning and mm. she opens up one of those folding chairs and it squeaks <laughs> and her eyes just bulge out of her fa- out of her head when she gets caught. Amazing. Uh, yeah, super fun. Great debut for this book. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've already added it to my pull list. It's, I'm so pumped for it. All right, boom. Coming back. It's come, coming back to reclaim that throne after losing the image at the awards <laughs> this past year. All right. I think that's all we got for open discussion. I think it might be time for some listener questions. All righty. Uh, we had a couple of really great listener questions this week. I just want to thank everybody right off the bat, whoever sends these in. Uh, we really appreciate it because it gets us uh, an opportunity to mix things up a little bit and have a little bit of fun. Uh, and maybe go outside the box a little bit. We <laughs> shall see. Here we go. All hail Bebo. Megzy3 <laughs> on Twitter. What Disney movies do the members of the Justice League watch to wind down after a long day? I got a, I got an answer. I, I had a, so I much got, fun I have, with a, this. I have a lot of answers. I got I one. have a list. 
All right. Uh, okay. Well, everybody's so eager. This is not the way this usually goes. Let's have let's have Sarah go first. Okay. Some of these I was quite sensible with, and some of them I just had to make jokes. So obviously, Aquaman's going to watch The Little Mermaid. Fuck um, Aquaman. Go what? ahead. No, I, for, I forgot um, to add Aquaman to my list. Go ahead. What? I know. Um, Flash. I put down Cool Runnings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Green Lantern I'm assuming it's Hal Jordan Green Lantern so I put down that he'd watch like Air Bud or National Treasure or High School Musical 3 senior year or just something that's just really trashy wow. because he's Hal Jordan you went hard um, I did um, <laughs> Cy- Cyborg I put Pinocchio because he's a real boy <laughs> that's awful <laughs> Um, Superman, I went with like the rescuers and the jungle book. Cause you've got that kind of fish out of water looking after people thing. Um, Wonder Woman, I went Moana because I just, I kind of see Moana as like a little baby Diana. Um, and now I can't get that mental picture out of my head. Martian Manhunter, I went with Aladdin cause he'd kind of appreciate that story of looking different to be accepted. Um, and Batman only watches the sad bits of the movie, so he only watches the bit where Mufasa gets killed, or the old people at the start of Up, or the bit where Bambi's mum gets shot. Nice. <laughs> spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm done. Nice. Amazing. <laughs> it's so much fun just trawling through Disney movies for that. Okay. Uh, Joey, would you care to go next? Yeah, Avengers Infinity War. Oh, you stole mine. <laughs> <laughs> they need a little pick me up so they're gonna watch their competition yeah. get dusted, right? Come on, that's good. Oh, yes, come on, I'm all for it. Come on. <laughs> also, that one with um, what's the one with uh, the dogs and they're in the they're singing. Billy Joel wrote the music for it. Old oh, uh, Oliver and Company. Oliver and Company. Oliver Everybody and loves company. Oliver yeah, and Company. That movie's so. Good. I got that for Christmas. Oh, so good. That's the one they'd watch because it's just great. <laughs> All right, <laughs> uh, Bob. All righty. Um, I think Aquaman would watch The Abyss just for fun. Is that a Disney movie? No. I'm just doing this. I'm doing what I'm doing. No, actually, I just Joey stole my idea. So I, yeah, I thought they'd watch the Avengers. Maybe they'd watch the Incredibles, just because. Yeah, you, you need to see. You do homework on these things. Honestly, you want to wind down. You need some. You need some. Need some music. You need to be able to just sit and relax. So I'm saying it's either Fantasia, or the very rare short that was a collaboration between Disney and Salvador Dali Destino that's where I'm going I love uh-huh. Fantasia yes I need to yes, go watch that now dancing hippos and dinosaurs and all that sort of stuff <laughs> now does John Carter count as a Disney movie because the Martian yes, Manor yeah the Martian Manor can watch that as a comedy <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, so because I forgot about Aquaman and the Flash, <laughs> I only have one movie for each of them. But for every other, I have double features. So Ooh. for Batman, you would watch The Sign of Zorro, you know, on account of his parents. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, sit there, really soak it in. 
Relive the memories, brood a little bit. Uh, also, the Great Mouse Detective. For Batman, uh, for Superman, he would watch The Incredibles and Mark Wahlberg's Invincible. Oh, yeah, not my best. Martian Manhunter would it's watch not Mark Wahlberg's my... best either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, Martian Manhunter would watch My Favorite Martian and The Cat from Outer Space. <laughs> Wonder Woman would watch Hercules and Mulan. Uh, Cyborg would watch The Brave Little Toaster and Flight (laughs) of the Navigator. Green Lantern would watch Tron and John Carter. Uh, Aquaman would watch Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and The Flash would watch Bolt. (laughs) There you go. Not bad for a last time. Thank you. Uh, Okay. So, from Otha M. Johnson III, Rally on Twitter, let's make it tough. I challenge you guys to name one and only one comic book you suggest reading. Past or present, mine is V for Vendetta. So you get to choose one book to recommend to the world. Miss Marvel, done. As a series? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Sarah? Sandman, Neil Gaiman, various artists, 75 issues. Love it. Okay. Bob? Um, I could go all over the place, but I take this to mean a book you can read, you know, just jump right into it. And so both what our, our colleagues said, same idea. So I'm going something a little more exotic in character, and I'm going to say Sunstone. Ooh. Sexy Bob. <laughs> um, we talked about it earlier in the show, uh, and we kind of talked about the idea of, of uh, I can't remember the, the word you used, but mandatory reading. Compulsory. What was it customary? Compulsory. Compulsory, Compulsory. reading. Uh, the March trilogy. Yes. I think would be would be uh, an excellent one for people who don't read comics to. Uh, to take a look at. And also, funny that this question came up. Um, Bronwyn's trainer uh, over at the the gym class that she goes to was, she commented about comic books or whatever and something about them. Not not that they weren't real reading, but like she just doesn't know anything about comics. So she wanted one thing to recommend to her uh, and we lent her about Betty's boob. Oh, so, wow. yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the verdict is. I'll update you all when uh, we get the book back. Yeah. But uh, I thought, it, you know, light on the, the reading, but just super powerful, super art driven. Like if you go through that and don't at least walk away from having a different opinion about comic books and what they can be, then I, I can't help you. Yeah. I mean, there are other books, too, that like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I Kill Giants. Like, I know. I didn't, heartbeat. Really I didn't want to go like there because we go there all yeah. the time. Day Tripper. It was on my short list. Yeah, Day Tripper. I love Fabian Moon and Gabriel Ba. Like, that's another one that I would be like, here, read this. Like, this is comic books. Underwater Welder, any of that Jeff Lemire stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we just voted it in, but um, The Prince, Prince and the, the Dressmaker. Yeah, yeah Prince No, the everybody kind of tuned into that once they were reading it, and it was pretty unanimously mm-hmm. well-received. Squirrel Girl. I need to read that. You know, like, so many different things. But that's the thing with the, that's the, thing with the medium, you know? Like, it's hard to be like one. Yeah, yeah. I vote Miss Marvel because, like, I think I think you give that to a kid, you give that to an adult, you give that to anybody who loves superheroes, doesn't love superheroes, and that's a book. Like, that's that's something that anybody can read. 
and get something out of and, and see themselves in. Like, I, I love that. But that, that book is just so, so good. Giant Days, too. I think Giant Days is so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Everybody got a turn for that one, right? Yeah. Thank God nobody said mm-hmm. Watchmen. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that used yeah. to be everybody's answer. Remember that? Like, oh, you, yep. you, you want to read comic book? Read Watchmen. You know, like, everybody used to say Watchmen. Mm-hmm. It's probably still the answer for a lot of people. Yeah. I would think. But there's well, so much obviously more. not for you, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's so much more out there. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did get a couple more questions, but we have time for one more. Uh, this one comes from Bronwyn Kelly Say at Shiny Baby B on Twitter. She wanted to get involved this week. I well, you know, she's all right. She's, she's upstairs. Right. Yeah. So she says, "Okay, my question for the crew this week is." I want you. Uh, oh, she, never mind. Let's design your own sidekick. She wants a name, superpower, and costume. Who follows you? Who follows you around and helps you out? So I'm actually going to go first for this because I want to preempt something that Bob might say. Yeah, I, I got one too. That's pretty uh, needs preempting. <laughs> okay. Um, so I already have a sidekick. For those of you that have been around for a long time, when the podcast was Bob, Bobby, Stephanie, and I, Hanny Mode had designed all of us some comic book characters to be kind of like spokes characters of the brand when we were doing the show back then, whatever. Uh, in the art, I have a black and brown American short hair cat sitting mm-hmm. atop my shoulder. I have decided today that the cat's name is Pancake. Uh, and she has the ability to seek out and gain access for us both to any concert venue, venue in any city on the known planets. So anytime anybody's playing anywhere and we're in town, we can just walk right in. Nice. <laughs> I think that would be amazing. She also wears either headphones or goggles or both. A little bit of steampunk in there for uh, for Pancake. All right, um, Joey, why don't you go next? Okay, my sidekick's name is Steve Say, and <laughs> he's dressed like John Cusack from the movie Say Anything, and he follows me around with a boombox playing the soundtrack to my life all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. I know, that's why I did it. <laughs> Oh my god! Can I? Can we, you know what? Can I come in and we do that just for a day, <laughs> you just the whole day? Originally, it uh-huh. wasn't dressed like John Cusack. Originally, it was just a toga, but I figured let's keep it classy. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I could do I could do a John Cusack cosplay for sure. Probably have it in my closet. Uh, that's amazing, Joey. Thank you for that. That's pretty good. Uh, Sarah, do you want to go next? Yes, I um. I actually went more traditional sidekick. I want to call my sidekick Poise. And she establishes balance and she soothes tempers and she lessens anxiety because I get really stressed about things and I need her there just to keep me calm and to make sure everything's going to be okay. And because she's such a calming influence on me, she's going to wear lots of pale blues and you know, sort of comfortable colors. And she's basically just going to wear leisure wear. Essentially, she's pretty much in a tracksuit. Um, but yeah, she's just going to follow me around and just make sure everything's fine. And I could just float through life being a superhero. 
Pajama Patronus. <laughs> it's that our capuchin monkey, okay? So one Why of not these both? things. <laughs> I'm not boys with a capuchin monkey on her shoulder. There you go. (laughs) Done. That's awesome. That's really cool. Thank you. Bob, how about you? Well, as as you mentioned earlier, and you did mention without spoiling, and that was good, uh, we did have artwork done for us many, many years back, bought by Haney Mode, and... It's still around on my old T-shirts and business cards and thing, things of that nature. And it was each of us of the or Stephanie, Bobby, Steve, and I as superheroes. And really lovely artwork. But our friend Sarah, who was then just a listener and correspondent, crafted lovely little character synopses for each of us, as well as a lovely little first adventure. And... I was looking on our website, and it used to be under About Us, and there's a little drop-down. And i uh, it's just me being uh, technically inept, and I couldn't find it today. But if you search for it, it's still there. If you go, you look it up as a top-secret database, and you can buried actually see... Buried in the see, mire. Buried in there, yes. If you do a Google search, it comes up right away, and you can click to it, and I actually did find the link and they're really charming and so thank you sarah for all those years ago no worries and look at you now (laughs) yeah see that see how things work out look how far i've come yeah yeah so uh i am not i was the gray guardian so i'm I'm not going to go there but i could but taking that into consideration i am kind of a gloomy gus so i would need a sidekick that would balance that off so her name would be sunbeam Aw, and so she can cast a ray towards any person or creature and instantly bring them joy, banishing all sorts of dark thoughts and evilness and stuff like that there. She's a Care Bear. Yes, she is. (laughs) I think she would be in a sort of long-sleeved, deeply yellow tunicky jacket, a little peplum near near the bottom, over like crimson leggings and short little cuff boots, same color, and, of course, little solar flare emblem on the chest would probably light up when she used her powers. Ah, I like it. Very cool. Slightly related, are you reading Rainbow Bright? Because you need to be. I did read the first issue and love Jeremy's work, as always. Mm-hmm. Haven't read the next ones. I will catch up. All righty. So that's a thing. Uh, thank you so much, again, for sending in your listener questions. We'll try to get to... A few next week, depending on how long we go with David and Jorge, who, by the way, will be here next week. If you want to send in questions for them for that podcast, uh, you can do that with uh, our Twitter account that we will give you in just a little bit if you don't know it already. But first, let's talk about the books that we're looking forward to hitting the stands this week. Bob, would you like to uh, read us your list? Yes. Man Eaters number five. Mm-hmm. which is always a lot of fun. We have a new Elvira miniseries. It's Elvira, the shape of Elvira. She apparently gets cast to be in a movie opposite a Fishman character. <laughs> hey, here we go. Aquaman 2.0. <laughs> yeah. So don't, don't know where that's all going to go. West Coast Avengers. We have Wasp, Ms. Marvel, a new Wonder Woman, and what's probably going to be my last Batgirl, I'm thinking. 
Do you mean that this time? I think so. <laughs> we'll find out next week. Yes. Be there. Aloha. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, what books are you picking up? Um, up for, I'm definitely going to get Age of X-Men Alpha number one. I'll have to be back on the X-Men books right now. Um, second volume, second volume, second arc of Ta-Nehisi Coates' Captain America uh, picks up with Captain America number Ooh, seven. I forgot about um, that, yes. Yeah, yeah, the delay. On there. yeah. I do want to catch up a little bit. Um, another Marvel book, Journey into Unknown Worlds, number one, a little bit of sci-fi. They've been doing mm. these War as Hell and, and all these, the, the, the crypt um, story that you were talking about yep. before, Bob. The last issue of Marvel, Marvel Knight's 20th um, anniversary series, uh, Ends this this week as well, and also number one of WWE Forever. Woo! <laughs> as I've mentioned several times on the show, I got tickets to WrestleMania, baby, yeah. and uh, I got to start getting back. I got to know who these people are. It's been a while, so, <laughs> so I got to start. I got to start uh, picking up uh, picking up the storylines, as it were, getting back into kayfab, as it were. Uh, so uh, we got we got to catch up. But I'm excited. I saw Kurt Angle. I saw Kurt Angle on television last night. Nice. He was back. Kurt so, Angle. I mean, it's yep. true, baby. <laughs> <laughs> he no slugged some guy is. right in the right in the face. Oh god! Right in the puss. Right in the puss. <laughs> I'm so hyped, man! It's gonna be great. Vita Ayala was posting a bunch of stuff about the the Rumble because I think the Royal Rumble was this past yeah, Sunday, yeah, 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 yeah. and I was like, oh, I'm so excited! I'm so hyped! Uh, <laughs> woo! Let's go! Let's go! <laughs> You're hilarious, Sarah. How am I supposed to follow that? You don't. You just just let it hang. Okay. Okay. Big, big week this week. Um, Quantum Age from the World of Black Hammer number eight, Wonder Woman number 63, Man Eaters number five, Redlands number 10, Unstoppable Wasp number four, West Coast Avengers number seven, Vagrant Queen number six. I will probably check out Peter Cannon Thunderbolt number one because it's Kieran Gillen riffing on the superhero genre. I will also check out a book called Weird, spelt W-Y-R-D, number one, which is um, a guy called Peter Weird, who is the guy that gets called in when no one else can solve the problem. Um, And also the first trade of Her Infernal Descent drops this week, which I might have to pick up. Oh, that book is so good. I won't be buying... um, Another trade, because I've already got the single issues, but just to get my Christopher Sabela mention in Shanghai Red Trade Drops this week. And if you haven't read it, you should read it because it's amazing. Okay. So there we go. Uh, big week. Big week. So Sarah just added like three things to my list. They might <laughs> get you to send me a copy of whatever you have, like DM it to me or something, because I need to know those titles. Uh, the weird one sounded really cool. And then there was another one. Peter Cannon and- Thunderbolt. Yeah. Anyway, um, I I write I, the new books for the week thing for my local comic shop, so it costs me a fortune every week. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's really so, bad. So, oh, West Coast Avengers was the other one that you mentioned that I need to pick up that I didn't have on my list. Uh, also on my list are Heroes and uh, Crisis number five. I actually haven't read that since issue number two, so it's I need really to catch up. Good. I need to, yeah. I need. I've been doing a lot of catch up uh, these past couple of weeks. I'm going to try to uh, to do that. Uh, I'm going to be reading some Spencer and Locke in preparation for our interview. I'm also going to be picking up Wonder Woman number sixty three, Man Eaters number five, Skyward number ten, Marvel Knights number six, the last of that series. 
uh, Ms. Marvel number 37, Unstoppable Wasp number four. Uh, and I think that's it. Uh, but just an update on our collection, Bob. I will have you know that not only have we purchased all of the un, uh, unbeatable Squirrel Girl single issues uh, through digitally, we now own volumes one through four in hardcover oh. in our library. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going, uh, we're going deep into the nuts with. Uh, <laughs> you had to say it. You had to say it. Hey, it was right there. If I didn't say it, we would get emails and people would be upset. Yes, I know that's the way it would go down. That's the way I would. That's the way I would handle it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Be so happy that everyone jumped on board. It's wonderful. I finally have seen the light. All right. You have uh, to get the no- You have to get the novels too. They're great. Yeah, I do. For sure. Um, so does anybody have any anything they want to share before we start reading the stuff? Any closing statements? Can I make a shameless plug? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, this Sunday, we are recording the next episode of Ladies of Valhalla. We are talking about Shauna Maguire's novella, Every Heart a Doorway. We've had um, a really, really awesome question through from a listener on Twitter. If anybody else wants to get in touch, please do come and find us on social media um, at Valhalla Ladies or drop us an email and share your thoughts on the book. There you have it. Awesome. Not shameless at all. (laughs) I'm looking forward to hearing that one because the last time that I listened to your podcast, I ended up reading uh, A.S. King. I crawled through it and... uh, it was just so good. outrageous. So, mm-hmm. so, so good. Um, if you like surrealist fiction, you should read some Amy King. All right. Yes. Uh, and definitely tune in. Uh, when is that going to go live? Um, that will be not this Sunday, but the Sunday after. I've got no idea what the date was. Friday oh, the 15th yeah. of February. That one. Yes. Then All right. Cool. Said. All right, we've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Don't forget to check out talkingcomicbooks.com for reviews from our fantastic contributors. And don't forget to check out Talking Valiant, D&D Adventure, Bendis Assembled, and the Ladies of Valhalla Podcasts. Bob, where can our listeners find you? old-fashioned email bob ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com how about you joey i am at joey Bertino. sarah i am at geek country lady and i am at dead underscore anchorus on twitter and instagram so for bob a big shout out to bill moore not <laughs> for joey <laughs> for sarah happy hump day everyone Uh, I have and always will be Steve say thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next week on the Talking Comics podcast. Until then, be excellent to each other and to be continued.
everybody. It's January 30th, 2019, otherwise known as New Comic Book Day, and welcome to the Talking Comics Podcast. You're listening to episode number 375. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me this week are Mr. Bob Ryer. Ooh, I'm a pop-up man. Would you like cheaper health insurance? Okay. Uh, Joey Braccino is also in the house. Uh, Charlie Bravo, Roger that, 10-4. And... Direct from beneath the Dursley's staircase is Ms. Sarah Miles. Morning. Wow. That's awful. What? That great. <laughs> Harry Potter, come on. <laughs> Want to go again? You can do it again. At least you didn't say I'm a Dementor. Come on. Yeah. Oh, the Dementors are so cool, though. What's your Patronus? Yeah, what uh, is your it's, Patronus? It's a capuchin monkey. You know, okay. my Patronus is probably a little monkey, too. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> Bob, what were you talking about when we did the introductions? What was that? It's a pop-up ad. I was being a pop-up ad. Oh, yeah. I thought you were slipping into some kind of like Yogi Bear skit or something. No, like that. it was a pop-up ad. All right. All right. Let's. Uh, <laughs> I wish we could do this over again. Let's do it over What's happening? We're doing, we're, doing it over we're doing it over again. We're doing it over Oh, no. We had some banter. It was great. No, no, no. It was Post bad. Post-credits scene. It was all bad. Post-credits right there. It was all bad. Doing it again. 